I want to tell you a couple of quick stories. Alex Wynn uh, is within about three or four days being the same age as me. He was the next door neighbor to two of my cousins, Tom and Tim, so I'd known Alex from preschool age all the way through high school. In high school, he was the standout basketball player on the North Shore of Boston uh, in his senior year. He was uh, got a full scholarship to Dartmouth, and at the time of his graduating from Dartmouth, he was the all-time leading scorer at Dartmouth, and he was drafted in 1970 by the uh, Detroit Pistons, where he played for them for three years. Mostly he played on the bench, but he did fulfill his dream of being a pro basketball player. And uh, I want to compare and contrast him a little tiny bit with another basketball player that I know as well. His name is Jim Bond. Jim was the number one high school recruit out of the state of Texas, and he chose to go to Pasadena Nazarene College. At Pasadena, he was the leading scorer in the school's history, like Alex was at Dartmouth's. On his graduation, he was drafted by the Lakers, and the Lakers sent several of their best players onto the campus at Pasadena Nazarene College to make sure that Jim would sign with them. Except that Jim, as a 16-year-old, at an altar in a church in Texas, gave his heart to the Lord, and God called him into pastoral ministry. And he gave up the millions of dollars he would have made playing for the Lakers and followed his dream that God had given him about being a pastor. And in 1997, I sat in a general assembly of the Church of the Nazarene where Jim Bond was elected as a general superintendent in the Church of the Nazarene. I think he did better than playing for the Lakers. We shape our dreams, and then our dreams shape us. I've come to the conclusion that there's no such thing as great people. There's just ordinary people like you and me who follow God's leading in their life, and then God can do something special through every single one of us if we allow him to do that. God uses our dreams to direct us and to shape us. For three months now, I've been uh, sharing two verses of scripture with you, and one of them is this. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope, and a future. And every time I stand up here, I'm going to be running these verses at you again. God's dream for me and for you is personal and it's perfect. It's a plan that just fits me. How do I get God's dream for my life? How do I know what God wants for me? I, last week or two weeks ago, rather, I talked to you about God's dream for this church. But I want to talk about it, making it personal for you and me right now. And I want to use a mnemonic that I've seen others use, and I've copied it. This is not original with me. D-R-E-A-M. And we're going to start off with this one. D, dedicate all of my life to God. That's what we need to do. That's how we get God's dream for our life. You've got to be willing to do that. Whatever God wants you to do, 
and to do that in advance before he tells you to. The scripture tells us, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. This is the dedicate, right? Offer. Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to God, dedicated to his service. Don't conform to the standards of this world, but let God transform you. Then you will be able to know the will of God, what is good and pleasing and perfect. We dedicate ourselves to him. If you commit yourself, dedicate yourself, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, then you will know what God's will is, and it will be perfect. In the Church of the Nazarene, we make a lot of that phrase perfect, don't we? We sometimes use the word of holiness. We sometimes talk about heart perfection. We talk about being in the center of God's will. We talk about being made holy or sanctified. But at its simplest level, the Greek, I, I've always found it interesting. We translate, uh, yeah, we translate the word so often as holiness. But at its simplest level, it, the Greek word means it's something that matches me to perfection. Something that matches me to perfection. That's what holiness is. It's interesting, isn't it? Something that I ought to be. So we're to dedicate, offer every part of ourselves to the Lord and what we do. Um, do you see the scripture said up there, don't conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed. Most people, I'm going to say, miss God's dream because they're not looking at God. They're looking at everything else. It's so easy to get distracted in this world, isn't it now? I mean, I mean, there's just distractions everywhere, all the time. And uh, it just doesn't take much to take us away. But the thing is, if we are looking at other people rather than God, we're going to be a copy of them rather than a copy of God. What do you want to look like? I want to look like God. I want to look like Jesus here on this earth. That's a big challenge. And I miss it 99% of the time, but I keep trying. Look at this verse from Hebrews as well. Let us strip off everything that slows us down or holds us back and run with patience the particular race that God has set before us. God has a race for you to run, a job for you to do that is special just for you. No one else can do it. So the first thing we said was we, we need to uh, dedicate all of our life to the Lord. The R is going to be res reserved time alone with God. You have to be quiet in order to hear God. Remember in the Old Testament it talks about the still small voice? Maybe we need to hear that more often. Okay, dumb statement you've heard me say before. I've said it a hundred times. If you want to know God's vision, you're going to have to turn off the television. Stupid statement, I know, but it's probably true. You can't be watching, you know, The Bachelorette and try to figure out what God's trying to say to you. You've got to get rid of some of these other distractions in your life. You need to maybe get down to those scriptures that our district superintendent is giving us to read so that we as a church are kind of on the same page on some things. You know something? I think we are. We're doing pretty good at being on the same page on a lot of things. Some of you are noticing that, and that's a good thing. I mean, we're not in uniformity, but we're going towards the same direction, and that's, that is a really good thing. In Job, we read this verse, and uh, one of his challengers is saying to Job, pause a moment and listen. Can you hear? I mean, can, can you, Job, listen up, will you? Consider the wonderful things God does. I can just kind of hear it and see it. 
Just, just listen and see what God has got to say to you. Some of us need to learn solitude. Some of you have heard me tell this story before. I was trying to get certified in clinical pastoral education, better known as just CPE. And I was doing that in the Catholic hospital. My instructor was a nun, and every single one of my classmates were nuns. I was the only male and the only Protestant. It made it kind of interesting for the seven months that I did that. One day I came in, and as we always did, we all came in together at the same time and went into Sister Catherine's office, is where we always started. And one morning I came in, and nobody else was here except Sister Catherine. And she just got up from behind her desk and said, follow me. Well, she's the boss, and so I followed her. We went out of the hospital and down the street, and I'm saying, where are we going? And she says, follow me. And we went into the nun's residence. I'm going, this is a little weird. And she takes me up a couple of flights of stairs, about three flights of stairs, and then she takes me, so we're on the middle floor, and she takes me into the middle room on the middle floor, so I am surrounded by nuns. She opens the door, and there is a room that is very spartan. There is a small table, and I can see two or three books and a Bible and a notepad and a chair and a lamp. And that's about it. And she said, John, you're going to spend the day here. And I went, what? She said, you tell me about the books you read and what you do. And she said, every book you've told me you've read since I've known you is on church growth and leadership. She said, I got a few books on that table on contemplating God. I'll be back at 10, noon, 2, and 4, so I can bring you to the restroom if you want. And the nuns know I will be coming in with a man at that period of time, and they won't be on the floor. And you're to stay here all day long. It was the scariest day of my life. Not because I was surrounded by nuns, but because I was exclusively in the presence of God. Have you ever taken the time to totally be alone with God for a whole day? I mean, really, really alone? No phone, no TV, no one else, just you and the Lord? At about that same time, uh, something happened in our ministry that was um, the hardest thing I've ever gone through. And I phoned up into Canada to the man who I consider the best pastor in the Church of the Nazarene in New England, and that's Reverend Larry Ogden. I'm sorry, Fred. Sorry, Ron. I put Fred miles ahead of you guys. He's so far ahead of me, I can't even see him. And I said, I need a pastor. He said, I'll talk to Margie and I'll get back to you in a day. He called me the next day. He said, I'll, I'll come. I'll be there for three or four months and help you get through this time. About five years later, 
he left. One of the things that Larry would say to me so very often, he'd walk into my office and he would stand about as far as I am to you and he would just look at me, lean on the doorpost, and he would say, have you gazed out the window today? And he'd leave. He wouldn't help me. He would just say, have you gazed out the window today? You know what he meant by that, don't you? If you're just taking some time away from everything else and see what the Lord might be saying to you. God speaks to people who take the time to listen. That's the R. Reserve time alone with God. E in this dream is evaluate my abilities. I touched on this last time I preached. Um, if you want to know God's will, you might want to look at what you're good at. I think the Lord uses your talents, your gifts, your graces. God has never really, no, that's absolutely right. God has never asked me to do something that I don't like to do. Some of you have asked me to do things I don't like to do. But God has never done that. He's never said, John, I want you to do something you're not good at. What do people affirm in you? Maybe that's what the Lord would affirm in you as well. In Ephesians, we read this. For we are God's what? You are God's what? Handiwork. Created in Christ to devote ourselves to the good deeds for which God has designed us. Wow. That's a couple of thousand years old. Isn't that good? What God has designed you for. Back a bunch of years ago now, Pastor Josh one morning uh, defined for us a word in from the Greek. The word is poema or poem, which is what? A work of art. You are God's poem. You are God's work of art. What do you think about that? That's what you are according to scripture. But there's more to life than just being unique. God wants you to be unique and effective. He said, I'm going to make you and then give you certain gifts, abilities, talents, and I'm going to allow you to go through life and you're going to have some heartaches. You're going to have some stumbles. But it's all of those gifts I've given you and all of the knocks that life has given you that make you who you are that's going to make you into the person that I can use to minister in my name. If you don't use those experiences for what God intended, then you've missed the point. God says, I have a plan for you. You are saved to serve. In 1 Peter, we read this. God has given each of you some special abilities. Be sure to use them to help each other. And he pauses for let that to sink in. A, associate with godly dreamers. Hang out with people who are trying to discover God's dream for their life. You know, both dreams and discouragement are contagious. 
It's fun being around people who are really living the Christ life. I have a, one of my friends put up on Facebook a couple of days ago the uh, graduating class from Nazarene Theological Seminary for 1980. Now, I didn't go to NTS, and I graduated well before 1980, but I looked at that class, and I went, oh, I know him, I know him, I know him, I know him, I know him. These are people who have touched my life. And you know something? In that group that was in that class, I said, man, there's some pretty good people that graduated back then. Some people who have helped me and encouraged me. I've hung around some people who are contagious. And that's the kind of people I want to be around all the time. That is the importance of being in a church family. I know it was good when COVID hit that we did a YouTube channel, and some of you are watching on YouTube this morning. But, you know, there is something about being around the family of God that is so incredibly important as we grow together. About, the, you know, Fred was talking about grandparents and having grandkids. We need to get our more of our grandkids in our discipleship hour and in our midweek ministries with Pastor Brian. We need to have our kids here. Kids, we, they need to grow in grace around others who are growing in grace. It's one thing to be at home and to read your Bible in solitude and to maybe watch YouTube in solitude, but to be together. We need that. As iron sharpens iron, a friend sharpens a friend. Bad friends ruin the noblest people. Some of you can say, yep. I've hung around some people who didn't help me much at all. One of my cousins got picked up going to school one morning by one of the friends who was also always at his bus stop. They were both 15 years old. And the friend stopped by in a car. And Tom said, Where'd you get the car? Oh, I borrowed it. Let's go to school. Before they got to school, there was a blue light behind them. The car wasn't borrowed, it was stolen. And now the cousin who got in the car had a police record because he was an accessory as a 15-year-old. Bad friends ruined the noblest of people, and it took him a long time to overcome that issue. Final is this, M, make my dream public. Let others know what's going on. Julie and I sat, I mentioned the General Assembly when Jim Bond was elected, but Julie and I sat in the General Assembly on a Saturday night mission service when Dr. Nina Gunter preached one of the most powerful messages I've ever heard. I don't remember. You can ask me what I preached a couple of weeks ago. I don't remember, okay? Don't talk to me about my sermons because I'm always working on the next one. I have no recollection of what I did before. 
I don't remember too many other sermons, but I can remember the sermon that Dr. Nina Gunter preached about 20 years ago. There were probably eight or 9,000 of us in the auditorium that night. And as she drew her sermon down, all of a sudden, people started coming out of the sides, bringing big crosses, and they were crosses put everywhere in the aisles. And those people who brought them out had post-it notes and they had pens. And without going through the whole thing, but just to do it in one another couple of seconds, she just said, she encouraged those of us who were there. If God has given you a dream, if God has given you a charge to do something for him and you've not yet made it public, I'm asking you to come forward, take one of those post-it notes, write what it is, and stick it on the cross of Jesus Christ and let others know. There were two young girls sitting with us that night. You're not the only one who cries sometimes. Who got up and went put post-it notes on those crosses down front. Make it public. Why should I announce it to everybody? Because it demonstrates faith. Also, other people will start coming to help you. You say, I have prayed this through, and I know this is God's will for my life. Will you help me? What do you think I'm going to say? I'll do it on your own. I'll say to the best of my ability, I'll help you. I don't know if I can, but I'll do my best. And don't you think everybody else in this room will do the same thing? If you say, I believe with all my heart that God is asking me to do, and you fill in the blank, we're going to come beside you. Make it public. It's going to be something that will help and bring others. I think about the ministry we now know as Rise Again Outreach. Back in 2006, 2007, I cannot tell you how many times Bill Pelletier and I got together for lunch as he caught a vision of something I had said, and then he took what I said, and it has developed into a ministry that he put a framework around, a dream. And several of you who are here right now became a part of that bigger dream than we ever imagined it could be, and it has just reached out and touched thousands of people. It was kind of fun as we had breakfast on Tuesday morning with our motley crew. One of the guys pointed out, because we were down at the windmill and there's the uh, apartment complex across the street where so many of the lower income people live. And one of the guys pointed out, and here's an exact quote, hey look, there's some of our people. There were people they administered to only the previous Saturday. Yeah, God is good. Again, when I last preached, I told you that both faith, that faith can be both a noun and a verb. As a verb, it is something you do. What is faith? It is the confident assurance that something we want is going to happen. It is the certainty that what we hope for is waiting for us, even though we cannot see it up ahead. Nothing happens in your life until you start dreaming.
Not much will happen in this church until we as a church collectively start to dream about what God wants us to do. I reckon my own life worth nothing to me in order that I may complete my mission and finish the work that the Lord Jesus gave me to do. What's your dream? What do you think might be the Lord's dream for loud and new beginnings? What might the Holy Spirit be saying to you for, here's that other verse, for such a time as this? Don't waste your life. Ask God for his dream for your life. Let me pray for you. Lord, I want to see a church full of dreamers. Not making things up, but asking you for your dream, for your vision, for your plan, for your purpose, for their life, for their family, for this church. That, Lord God, we might collectively be moving forward knowing that you are leading and you are encouraging us and you want us to be encouragers of others. Lord, now I pray your blessing on all of your people for such a time as this as we prepare ourselves for a new leader to come and bring us into an unknown future. But we know who's in that future. Lord, I ask these things now in your wonderful name. Amen.